This episode is brought to you by Audi Canada. The Canadian Medical Association has partnered with Audi Canada to offer CMA members preferred incentive on select vehicle models. Purchase any new qualifying Audi model and receive an additional cash incentive based on the purchase type. Details of the incentive program can be found at audiprofessional.ca. Explore the full line of vehicles available to suit your lifestyle. The Audi driving experience is like no other. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Deputy Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today, we have for you an interview from our archives. It was recorded and published in February of the year 2000. Dr. John Hui has a fascinating discussion with Dr. James Orbinski. At the time, Dr. John Hui was Editor-in-Chief of CMAJ and Dr. James Orbinski was the President of Doctors Without Borders, or Médecins Sans Frontières, as it was called. Dr. Orbinski has just accepted the Nobel Peace Prize in recognition of MSF's pioneering humanitarian work in several countries around the world. The themes of war and the humanitarian side of medicine that Dr. Hui and Dr. Orbinski discuss in this interview are just as relevant today as they were 19 years ago. We hope you will enjoy this recording. I'm speaking today with James Orbinski, who is the international president of Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders. Uh, Médecins Sans Frontières was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize on December the 10th in recognition of the organization's pioneering humanitarian work on several continents. James uh, Orbinski, congratulations on this honor. Thanks very much, John. Providing you and I had an opportunity to have a, a brief conversation about this interview, and uh, you raised the issue that providing medical care for the sick and injured seems like such a straightforward uh, set of tasks and objectives, but to provide it in a in an area of uh, political conflict and social upheaval makes it infinitely more complex and um, brings in a whole variety of other issues. One of these issues is presumably your organization's mission to try and raise awareness about the plight of people that you're helping. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between or the complexity of providing medical care and at the same time trying to raise awareness and what this means? Yeah. Well, for, for MSF, uh, probably the most important distinguishing feature of MSF uh, and the feature that, that, that uh, distinguishes us from, for example, the ICRC and uh, also the, from, International from Red Cross. the Red Cross, I'm sorry, uh, and also from many other um, NGOs. Uh, is the fact that uh, we uh, refuse to re- to uh, to remain silent uh, in the face of uh, uh, what can only be described as uh, egregious uh, human suffering and in the face of uh, uh, massive war crimes. And um, uh, this calls into question the whole notion of neutrality and what is neutrality. And from, from our perspective, neutrality cannot be uh, a mask, if you will, or a cover for one's responsibility to name what is clearly morally unacceptable. So with that um, kind of philosophy or that kind of approach, uh, inherently it means that working in a, in a situation where there is, by definition, political crisis, work, working in a situation where there's war or famine or uh, some other uh, major calamity, um, a situation that, again, is by definition a political crisis, to identify the consequences of that crisis 
uh, in terms of human suffering, can mean that uh, you take unpopular positions, and it means that you can be seen uh, to be, in the short term, it means that you can be seen to be partial uh, to a particular uh, political perspective. But in fact, uh, we're not. We're, we are. We are impartial. Um, to the causes and, and conditions, if you will, of, uh, that, that create suffering, but will not remain impartial to those causes and conditions that are clearly uh, morally unacceptable uh, from either a, a political perspective or from, a, from a, an international law perspective. So that means then that, that our presence can be, um, uh, is made even more difficult. Our task is made even more difficult um, because of our, of our clear commitment to, to, uh, to witnessing and to speaking out. Can you, um, in, once, uh, in, in, in your Nobel acceptance speech, you, you began your first part of that address was directed to the Russian ambassador who I gather was present at the ceremony. Was That's there. correct, yeah. Uh, and he, you were talking about the tragedy in Chechnya. So you chose during that speech to, in fact, witness, I guess, as you're exactly. describing it, that situation. Is, is that why you did it? Absolutely. Yeah. And in, in the... Um, the placing, if you will, of that witnessing, because there was many other issues that we addressed in the uh, uh, in the speech. The placing of of, of that particular uh, issue at the beginning of uh, of the discourse or the beginning of the speech was very much an effort to basically not uh, not sh- not show disrespect, if you will, for for the Nobel Committee or the Nobel Ceremony or the Nobel event, but to again show that that human dignity. Uh, and in this particular case, the dignity of the people of, uh, of, of Grozny and, and Chechnya, the civilians of Grozny and Chechnya, uh, must first and foremost take precedence over any uh, ceremonial uh, requirement or over any, um, by extension, political requirement uh, that, that, that structures a discourse, if you will. Mm-hmm. When you, you're recruiting volunteers to work for the organization and they're going into the field, um, uh, do you expect them to to bear witness as well uh, in the field, or is this a more a higher level function? It must be no, very difficult no, it, to bear witness it, in the field. It's very much a field based function, okay. um, and there's uh, uh, you know there's no question that um, uh, that our um, our actions in the, in in the field are. are uh, both med- direct medical action, direct medical care, and witnessing. Um, that is, uh, that is the uh, those are the two, if you will, in, uh, two sides of, of the coin. Um, that that's the currency of MSF. That's who we are. Now, there's also no question, however, uh, that um, there's a great deal of of input, if you will, and, and analysis uh, that goes into any formal statement. Uh, from the organization, and that that input and analysis comes from people uh, in our headquarters and in our uh, our our, our um, heads of mission in the field. People who are extremely experienced, who people who have worked with with uh, humanitarian issues for for many many years. And so there's no question that there's a great deal of of um, uh, of debate and discussion <clears throat> and formulation of a of a particular position. Uh, if we are going to, as a as an organization, take a, a, a firm, formal, and public position, mm-hmm. well, one of the issues that you raised in your acceptance speech was um, the notion that in providing this assistance, you need to have some safe space 
in which to work uh, and, and, and to provide space for the victims. Um, and the providing of that often requires the use of force or the, the, the balance between somehow providing the force to, to provide the safe, secure area. It's, it's almost a, uh, the antithesis of providing the, the safety. I'm not expressing this very well. No, no, I, well, actually, issues. you know, it's difficult to express, um, because it's, it's a very complex uh, set of ideas and complex set of issues. Um, so your difficulty is, is, uh, is not unique, John, so don't, uh, you know, don't, don't hesitate or worry there. Um, for, for us, what we try to do is um, provide uh, humanitarian assistance. Now, to do that, you need, as you say, uh, and as I said in, in my speech, you need a uh, what we call or what we define as a humanitarian space. Uh, that that place or that that theoretical place where international humanitarian law uh, is respected. Uh, and where um, civilians' right uh, to humanitarian assistance is acknowledged uh, and the pursuit of that right is is allowed. Mm-hmm. Now, if that is not possible, uh, if there is no humanitarian space, uh, then uh, and if it's impossible for us through our witnessing and through our, our uh, témoignage, as we call it, a French word essentially meaning witnessing and advocacy, if it's not possible for us, uh, to to create that space, uh, then um, there's no question that that force uh, uh, becomes uh, becomes an option. Now, it becomes a necessity almost, doesn't it? Well, it becomes yes. It it can become a necessity. Yes, yeah. in the absence of, in the absence of other um, uh, political efforts, or in the absence of the failure of those political efforts. And this is, I mean, that's, that's another issue. Uh, it's not another issue, but it's a, it's a related issue. In many cases, what we see is, is a complete lack of, of, of political interest, um, by the international community, uh, in, in, um, humanitarian need. So, for example, in the Congo at this point, there's massive, massive humanitarian need. In Sudan, there's massive humanitarian need. Um, in, in, um, Afghanistan, again, massive humanitarian need. And the, the, the interests of, of, uh, the international community in, in, uh, creating and, and, and allowing for humanitarian space, um, is, is wanes, uh, at best, um, under, uh, uh, under current circumstances in each of those locations. Now, if, um, uh, if there is no humanitarian space, then force becomes one option. But that force, uh, cannot be used in the name of humanitarianism because it, there's, there's, one is virtually the antithesis of the other. So the, the whole idea of, a, for example, a humanitarian war um, or, the, of a, or of a humanitarian military uh, action, uh, it's an oxymoron. It, it simply does not, um, uh, it, it, it is not an acceptable uh, explanation of, of, of what is required. The issue um, that underlies the lack of humanitarian space is is political failure, and so political a political response which can include military force um, is the kind of response that's required. And and there are now in international law that there are clearly since 1948, since the formation of the United Nations, there are provisions in the UN Charter uh, for um, uh, for military actions 
um, that 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 uh, that reestablish political security, but to mix the humanitarian and the and the political um, is a um, is 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 a is a mistake in the sense that it tars the humanitarian with with the military brush and creates this oxymoron that is well it's 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 one is the antithesis of the other. In the speech, you alluded to this several times, uh, and, and the, the importance of separating the. For UN actions for providing the secure space, mm-hmm. and that being separate from the humanitarian mm-hmm. uh, part of it, you you go on to talk in the speech also about uh, the euphemization. That's probably not a word of mm-hmm. of political speech, um, mm-hmm. and and how important this is. Um, mm-hmm. Is is it? And just how important is it? What is, what is it, and how important is it? The, the um, I'm trying to think of an analogy right now, but it's it's uh, nothing comes to mind. But but uh, well, actually, the, the 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 analogy that I use in the speech is probably the best one. Um, no one calls a uh, a rape a complex gynecologic emergency. Yeah. Uh, a rape is a rape. Now there are medical consequences that, as physicians, we are mandated and uh, mandated to deal with, but it does not change the fact that a rape has occurred, and it does not change the fact that that there are political causes and conditions that that create uh, uh, that that have created the, the the circumstance where the rape has occurred. Now, to 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 take away uh, the meaning. Of rape, the word rape, which has all kinds of moral, political, social, and other implications, to take away the meaning of that word, and of the uh, to take away the meaning of the event of a rape uh, by calling it a complex gynecologic emergency, is to, in a sense, take away the opportunity for society, be it at a national level or at an international level, to deal with the social, political, moral, and ethical questions associated with rape. So, <clears throat> by extension. Um, by, by, by analogy, uh, to call a genocide uh, a complex humanitarian emergency uh, or to call war crimes or, let's say, alleged war crimes at this point um, in, in, for example, Chechnya, um, uh, an internal security crisis is uh, to take away uh, the opportunity to address the larger moral, ethical, political, and social questions that underlie uh, uh, either the, either a genocide or a uh, uh, or uh, war crimes. Yes. And so, so for for uh, uh, for for us as a uh, uh, for MSF as a as a medical humanitarian organization, we 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 really, in essence, refuse to allow for um, a technical description uh, of human need and human suffering. Uh, to to replace uh, the reality of of that need and the reality of that suffering. Uh, again, by extension, we refuse to sit passively uh, and allow for a political, if you will, vacuum to occur around those particular human needs. Even the word, I mean, some, even the word genocide, although it has a, a definite meaning and, and it's a complex meaning, it's used so often that. I have the impression as an editor journalist that it's become meaningless almost, or we don't pay attention to it anymore. And it's I, a good point, actually. The 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 uh, uh, um, it's a very good point, and we I must say that it's something that we are intensely aware of, and something and um, we are extremely careful 
uh, about our use of that particular word. And we're also extremely careful about our um, use of of, uh, of other other uh, descriptors like war crimes or, or uh, famine or uh, uh, forced migration or forced starvation or or state collapse. Any of those issues, any of those words or phrases um, are are laden with with uh, with with very significant historical and 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 social and current political implications. And and so so uh, I agree completely with you that the 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 use of language must be a uh, a precise pursuit, and and it's something that we're extremely careful careful about. In part of your your speech, uh, I think you dealt with it to me very effectively in describing your work in Kigali, and there's a description there of a uh, a woman who. You say was not just attacked with a machete, but her entire body rationally and systematically mutilated. Yes, uh, her ears had been cut off and her face mm-hmm. had been so carefully disfigured that a pattern was obvious in the slashes. Yeah. I mean that is a rich. I mean that makes it vividly uh, yeah. uh, uh, come alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what it is actually like to be in a situation like that? In working, you were the head of mission. That's uh, correct. Rwanda yeah. At that yeah. time. In in Rwanda during the genocide of '94. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's uh, uh, first of all, it's very difficult to um, to talk about. Uh, for me personally, it's very difficult to talk about uh, about that particular experience. Um, uh, but um, I think it's absolutely vital that I do. And that that uh, all people who were in Rwanda during that time, and there weren't very many uh, expatriates present, um, it's I think it's vital that that all people who were there uh, do speak and do witness to what they to what they saw and to what they experienced. And in the same way that that um, <clears throat> for MSF as a whole, it's 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 a, a fundamental part of our of our of our mission is to is to witness and to to. Uh, um, to describe, to explain, uh, to um, uh, to demand uh, that that um, that this be known. For me personally, in Rwanda, it it was um, it was a uh, it was a uh, <clears throat> it was a moment where um, I knew that that um, the events that were taking place around me demanded something. More, um, let's do Why don't we just pause here for a second? Yep, sure. If you don't mind. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, James, I I wanted to ask you whether, in fact, general medical journals have done enough, um, or have they done anything, in terms of drawing to their readership's attention uh, the plight of these populations um, and I wondered if you had any advice for us well I would only I would just say that that um, Anton Verko the um, father if you will of, of public health um, said uh, in the 19th century that that um, public health is simply politics by other means and um, I think if we recognize that what we do as physicians uh, that our that our uh, if you will access to um, to to people suffering um, and our 
our bringing of technical skill to address that suffering. Um, that's one element of what we do. That's that's one piece of what we do. But we also have a responsibility to to see that suffering in a social context and to see uh, um, to to try to recognize uh, the social circumstances that create that that suffering and to try to uh, at least bear witness uh, to uh, to the causes uh, to, not to the causes but to the consequences if you will of of of, uh, of of a social or political failure and this can this can extend to to anything from uh, war crimes to to access to essential medicines um, either in Canada or or uh, in Africa uh, it can extend to access to healthcare uh, in Canada or or anywhere in the developing world. Um, it can extend to access to 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 basic um, social services, uh, basic public health services, uh, again in Canada or or anywhere in the world. And it's it's uh, you know in many ways it's much like um, what uh, Albert Camus described in 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 the plague. Uh, his, his very famous book, The Plague, that, that the doctor is more than simply a technician. The doctor uh, is um, uh, also uh, a privileged person who, by virtue of his his access or her access uh, to the intimacy of, of of another suffering, has a responsibility to 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 bring that uh, to um, to to the to, to the light of day and to to make known. The consequences, if you will, of of, uh, uh, of social or political failure, and so in in some ways, what that means in, in very practical very practical terms is, is that physicians have to extend their their, their range of, of uh, skills uh, beyond the technical. Now, they certainly must maintain their technical competence, uh, but they must, uh, I think, also extend the, the range of their of their of their professional pursuits to touch on ethical issues, social issues, political issues, and to bring their their experience as intelligent, as as uh, uh, capable, uh, and as uh, professionals who are intimately aware of human suffering, to bring those those skills and and, and that that perspective to the to the public uh, um, to the public fora. In your speech, uh, you, you talked. Uh, quite early on in, in the discourse about the dignity of the excluded, and you were referring there to the uh, to children in Europe, uh, particularly mm-hmm. the illegal refugees. And mm-hmm. um, uh, your message to uh, physicians to is to some extent to uh, you know everyone can't go to to Africa, and you presumably mm-hmm. wouldn't want us all over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are things we can do in our own backyard. Absolutely, uh, and is that what you're talking about here? Well, there's two things there. One is I, I was trying to highlight the fact that, that first of all, for MSF, our work does not just simply focus on uh, on medical humanitarian need in the developing world or, or medical humanitarian need in war and and famine and chronic crisis, but that our work also focuses on medical humanitarian need um, uh, in the Western world and, and really anywhere in the world. We work at this point in 80 different countries with, with over 400 different projects, and many of those projects are, in fact, in the Western world. And but the, the putting that into the speech at that at that at that place was very much an effort to to uh, 
uh, also show and ask uh, doctors uh, to to recognize that that humanitarian need, as you say, exists in our own backyard, and there are people who are in our own who who are uh, present in our society, in our Canadian society, for example, but who are in fact excluded from that society. They have no access to health care. They have no access to, to political status. They have no access to, they have no rights because they are, for example, illegal, uh, illegal refugees or illegal immigrants or, or whatever. But their political status, uh, does not affect their, their, their human need as the, the, their basic medical needs as human beings and their, uh, their dignity as human beings. And by recognizing their, their dignity, uh, through a medical act, um, one also gives them perhaps not status, if you will, or legal status in, in, in a society, but, but gives them a voice and gives them a place where, where their legal status can be debated and can be uh, um, uh, pursued in, in some kind of uh, hopefully equitable and, and just, just manner. I wanted to ask you, uh, James, I, I was in uh, Nigeria in 1968 during the the Civil War, um, and I think MSF was founded a year later by French physicians in Biafra. Um, I left really discouraged. Um, mm. I had a very naive view of what humanitarian assistance was. Mm. Uh, I probably still do. You obviously have a, from what you've been saying to us, a very sophisticated uh, view of the complexity of this. Did you know all that before you started, or no. how did you no. how did you get to where you are? No. Um, I started in. Uh, I was very lucky in in medical school. I had a fantastic, absolutely fantastic mentor, uh, Dr. Vic Newfeld, uh, who at that time was associate dean of medicine, and um, he uh, had spent many years working in uh, the developing world, and then uh, took a professorship at McMaster. And uh, he was extremely encouraging um, uh, of my interests uh, to um, – I was interested in pursuing uh, um, uh, infectious diseases, looking at, uh, looking at uh, pediatric HIV in uh, the developing world. And my interest initially was, was simply scientific and simply uh, from a strict uh, technical medical perspective. And I had no idea, no knowledge of, or no, no awareness of, of the social and political circumstances that surround people's needs largely in the developing world. And the experience there in my, during medical school, my final year of medical school, very much changed my life, changed my way of understanding what it is that I could do as a physician. And also, it, it also challenged me to, to, um, to learn more about the social circumstances that exist around people's uh, health and ill health. And, um, from there, I essentially, um, uh, worked, began working with MSF um, uh, intermittently uh, over a, a seven to eight year period. I would spend some time in the field and then some time back home in Canada, uh, some time um, pursuing further studies uh, and so on and so on. And um, the, the, I suppose the, the intermittent um, experiences of MSF in a number of different uh, settings around the world really just forced me to to, to um, continually question and continually demand of myself that I that I learn more about um, again causes and conditions of of, uh, 
uh, of, of humanitarian need. And um, uh, MSF has been um, probably the, the, the it, it is probably one of the richest uh, uh, environments for experiencing and pursuing and examining these issues. And um, uh, I've very much felt at home here and very much um, made it, at least uh, for the last 10 years, uh, my, my professional career, my a big part of my life. So I think it's just my own experience that has driven me to uh, to question and to seek answers and to to uh, pose possible uh, identify dilemmas, uh, recognize when no answer is possible because in in many circumstances there is no truth, uh, there's no right answer, but but there is obviously the necessity of choice. You must make a choice in many of these circumstances, and and so how do you do that? And and how do you how do you formulate some if you will, framework or, or philosophy or, or perspective that allows you to, to, to make choice in, in, in situations of dilemma and situations of paradox where the options are not clear. And I think the essence of what MSF is, and, 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 and I think in many ways, I, I firmly believe that this is what the essence of, of what a, a medical doctor is, is to always, always see the, hum, the, the humanity of the patient and to see them as a human being first, uh, first and foremost, independent of their political status, independent of their of their technical needs, independent of of their of their capacity to pay or not pay or whatever, but to see them as human beings and and to to respond as a human being with technical medical skill, and um, to extend that you know to to MSF's work that means doing it in a uh, providing medical humanitarian assistance in a way that 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 is highly competent and, and we're recognized around the world as 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 um, one of the leaders in, in in medical humanitarian assistance, but also in a way that is rigorously committed to speaking on behalf of the human being that you're working with. And um, uh, again, to put that into a into a Western or a Canadian context, I think the same basic principle holds true. Uh, it is the essence of what a physician is, I think. And um, uh, my experience with MSF has really, uh, at least so far, um, helped me to to think about that and to 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 at least try. And you can see in the, in the Nobel speech, it's it's a very difficult uh, set of ideas to try to express and and. Uh, uh, and to articulate, but my experience with MSF has very much given me the opportunity to to uh, to at least try. James Urbinski, uh, I want to thank you very much. You're welcome. That was an interview from our archives. Dr. John Huey was interviewing Dr. James Urbinski. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on SoundCloud or a podcast app, and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick. Deputy Editor for CMAJ. Thank you for listening.